When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to the Double X Gab Fest for Thursday, March 22nd, the Stormy D and Cardi B edition. I'm Hannah Rosen, a host of NPR's Invisibilia. And in the New York studios, we have June Thomas, managing producer of Slate Podcasts. Hi, June. Hey, Hannah. And Noreen Malone of New York Magazine. Hi, Noreen. Hi, Hannah. Listeners, just so you know, uh, if I sound a little different today, it's because I'm recording from home. It is a snow day, no husband, no babysitter. So there's only me and the television. So (laughs) that's why I might sound a little different today. Um, But anyway, uh, patience, patience. It It should be okay. So listeners, a bunch of you asked me for some anthropological knowledge about the theory of the patriarchy. It's a book that's not actually published yet, but it will be published in a year. It's by a guy named Richard Rangham, W-R-A-N-G-H-A-M. He's a guy who I interviewed, and he the theory is also proposed by another guy named Christopher Bohm, B-O-E-H-M. I will send uh, I will put a couple of links on our show page, but you can look up those two guys and their theory, and the book will be published next year, so you can look for it. I'm not sure what the title is yet. All right, guys, should we get started? Let us. Yeah. Okay, let us. First, Stormy, Daniels, and company, the women trying to get out of non-disclosure agreements to talk about their affairs with Trump. Is this something we should care about? Second, Cardi B, the first female rapper with a hit single since the late 90s. We talk about the particular brand of feminist that she represents. And finally, micro-cheating, the latest pop psychology term in relationships. Is it good or wicked? Should we all be micro-cheating or should none of us be micro-cheating? And in our Slate Plus today, we have the Women Be Shopping. Ben Carson, Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, blames his 30,000 dining room table on his wife. She's the one who bought it, and he added, it's excessive. So is it sexist to blame your own excesses on your wife? When I say it that way, it sounds loaded, but it's actually more <laughs> complicated than that. Trust me, it really, really is. All right, Stormy and Company. So first, it was just Stormy Daniels, whose real name is Stephanie Clifford, although Stormy Daniels is a better name, I think, than Stephanie (laughs) Clifford. Uh, She was suing to get out of arrangement so she could talk about her affair with President Trump. And then this week, Karen McDougal, who's a former Playboy model, also sued to be let out of an agreement requiring her silence. And a third woman, Summer Zervos, which rhymes with Davos, but not really, is suing Trump for defamation because he said that she made it up allegations that he groped her. So there are lawsuits coming left and right against our president. Um, Before we talk about the merits and why we should care, if we should care, can we lay the groundwork? Uh, Because even though Stormy Daniels is not supposed to talk about her affair, we already know quite a lot about it because she did talk about it in In Touch Weekly in an article published in 2011 before she signed any kind of agreement. So you guys want to get into the nitty gritty golf course, gift room. They met in a gift room. Do you guys know what a gift room is? She said that like we're all supposed to know. Like I was in the gift room and he, you know, was kept looking at me. What is a gift room? 
I assume it's at like a celebrity event where they give out, you know, the free bags full of swag, you know, yeah, the gifting suite, the gifting suite. I'm, it, well, June and I are familiar. Yeah, we, we, you know, we've been high, in those kind of circles. Are the kind of high end <laughs> events that we frequent, you know, you just kind of wander around and you say, I'll take one of those. Give me one of those. Yeah, I'm not going to pass on that. Thanks. And they're like pretty girls in the gift room as part of the gift room at a golf situation. Actually, no, I think first rule of the gift room is you can't talk about the gift room. We can't tell you about it. <laughs> See, now, that, that's interesting because I assumed that she was one of the sort of celebrities who were receiving gifts. I didn't think of her as being furniture oh, in the room. Oh, that was so sexist of me. Yeah, okay, yeah, all right, good. That's good. You're probably right. I don't know. She seemed to be going around in a golf cart. I didn't understand if she was playing golf or she was no, just she there. she said she doesn't play, so she never, took, she never took up his offer to play on one of his courses or some such things. But can we just um, take a step back and note that this celebrity golf tournament, the 2006 Tahoe Celebrity Golf Tournament, is where he met the Playboy Playmate he is accused of also having an affair with. Um, So he really had quite an alleged weekend that weekend. Like, I want to know what was happening at this golf tournament. Wait, Noreen, are you saying Karen McDougal and Stormy Daniels are in the same weekend? Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's, in, it's all in that at that golf weekend. He just like what had happened in his life before was this just every golf tournament for him? I don't know, but it's really remarkable. No, I think his wife just had a baby. People always mention that detail, yeah. like she's pregnant or she just had a baby. Like there's something must just kind of turn him off about that situation. You know. Although, although that was interesting because uh, Stephanie Clifford, Stormy Daniels, whatever we're going to call her. She, when she later talked about the affair, she said that the reason she did was that she just had a baby and it kind of changed the way that she thought about his behavior. Yeah, I, th- I thought so too. Babies kind of play a role in this in lots of different ways, um, but not for Trump. He doesn't really pay attention no. to the comings and goings of the babies. He's just doing his thing. Uh, so they both, both you do get glimpses in both Karen McDougal's recent account, uh, particularly the New Yorker story about it by Ronan Farrow, and, and uh, Stephanie Clifford's old account of his game. You know, he's, you know, he has a game. He, like, admires them. They banter. Stephanie Clifford talks about being uh, sassy with him. You know, um, they they both have a kind of game going on, both the women and the men. Did you guys read the note in The New Yorker that was released? Can I read it out loud? It's Karen McDougal. She says, this is a friend of hers who gave the note to Ronan Farrow, which is part of what's serving as evidence that they did have an affair. It didn't come from her. It came from a friend. Uh, He always ordered steaks. He never drank. We talked for a couple of hours. It was on, quotes, exclamation points. We got naked, sex, after he got dressed to leave, and he offered me money. I looked at him and said, no, thanks. I'm not that kind of girl. I slept with you because I like you, not for money. And he told me, you are special. (laughs) (laughs) There's just something about that. Like, Mm -hmm. what is, is it special because he usually pays women? Or or what is that exchange about? Certainly sounds, I mean, no, it doesn't necessarily sound that way. It just sounds like he assumed something about her and then was like, oh, you're you're not the kind of girl I assumed. You're special. Like, he he just changed his mind midstream about her. It's funny, though, because that same weekend, uh, (laughs) Stephanie Clifford said that he, she was really, she was like, while they were having sex, she was wondering, is he going to offer me money? That's going to be awkward. And she was, she said that she was relieved when he didn't. But she also said, 
oh, but I figured it would be a lot if he did. So, <laughs> yes, yes. I, <laughs> which was a compliment. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, her her account was more cat person. I mean, it wasn't depressing or sort of tense like that, but it did have an element of like you can see inside her consciousness. It wasn't so much like yes exclamation point. It was more like okay, here it goes. You know, mm-hmm. like she's she's sort of going through. She's acting. I mean, she's an actress, right? Mm-hmm. But she's acting. So, um, so there was a, there was a really interesting kind of layer of self consciousness in her account of their encounter. Um, so now, slightly the broader questions. Well, wait, wait, just on that, yeah, he, he didn't offer her money, but a huge theme of their account of, of their time together, her account of their time together, was that he kept sort of dangling the possibility that she would go on his show. Um, I'm not sure if it was Apprentice or Celebrity Apprentice at that time, but he kept saying, oh, we would, you know, be amazing. We, it would like shock everyone, but it would be so cool to have a porn star on The Apprentice on NBC. And she was sort of like trying to play it cool a little bit, but clearly was very interested in the opportunity. And mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. was sort of like a little dark under theme of the whole thing. So he was, you know, part of his part of his game with her was making her think that, you know, this was also this this could mean something for her yeah, career. Definitely. And she, and she talked about how all of her team was super excited about that, even if she didn't think it would happen. And it also, in a way, it was sort of it was both used as a, you know, a tool or he was dangling it. It was it was a form of of, you know, persuasion. But also it seemed like it was his only topic of conversation. He just kept going. It just made it, she made it seem like he just kept going on and on and on and like could talk about nothing else. Um, even though she said she, she enjoyed his conversation, but it seemed like that was the one theme. That is a running theme almost in all encounters you hear about with Trump is that there's a newspaper. And this is before he was president. So it's not that this is a narrative that gelled in the public consciousness, you know, after he was elected and people made fun of him. It's like the fact that he talks a lot about himself on a magazine cover and he wants you to talk about him on a magazine cover or you to talk about something that he's doing. That's something he seems to do over and over again. And by the way, he strung her along for a long time. It seemed like for a few years he strung mm-hmm. her along um and then jenna jameson was on the show and that seems to be what ruined what kind of spoiled their relationship mm-hmm. brought the lie to it because she is a porn star so yeah so. It, it seems more likely to me that that's why stormy daniels decided to get in touch with in touch than than the baby thing but i suppose i should give her the benefit of the doubt yeah but i that seems legit like if someone's stringing you along and then and says oh i'm not sure they wouldn't really let a porn star on and then they do but it's not you like <laughs> you're, you're pissed right the game's up so i don't i don't have any problem with that as a reason or as a as a, as a motivation for revenge yeah um uh, but now can we broaden out a little bit? Sure. Um, so a couple things. First is there's a few layers. First of all, would anyone care, think differently about him because of this? Before we get to the deeper, more important issues. Like part of me thinks when certain Trump people who admire Trump read about this, they just think like, well, that's the life. Like, yeah, yeah that's amazing. You know, it's not like it's not a grab them moment. It seems like these are just the spoils of the rich, you know, that for a certain kind of people would be like, hell, yeah, that's amazing. You know, he just goes to a golf tournament. He's riding around. He has one woman on the left, another woman on the right. Like what 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 would this how would this in America tarnish his image in any way? Why is there a lot of like earnestness around this as a like what are we learning about him that's new or that might change anybody's mind about him? I guess we're not learning anything new, but we're learning like really the depth of the of pattern. 
the the depth of the lack of depth of his character or something like right that he right the pattern as june says and not all of his voters or all of his supporters on a you know are necessarily that kind of person i mean what about the the sort of mike pence like people of the world like what are what are they i mean that's where i'm interested in the circumstance we've talked about this before um that you know it's it like the the strange flip that's happened in politics where the republican party and the evangelical wing is all of a sudden the like licentious uh party um but this just really like you're mike pence you're like you know (laughs) the most the most um rigid kind of uh performative evangelical in the world and this is happening like what do you what are you thinking i don't know yeah like the detail after detail so if you have people giving legitimate credible accounts in the mainstream media and on their own time about what happened it just makes it harder to pretend it's not happening or it was a one-off or he was just bragging to his friend but the thing is though it's also i mean i in some ways i think that access hollywood was the biggest favor that ever happened to him, you know, that that tape being released because it was established what kind of guy is. It was there on video. What he, you know, the the attitude that he exemplified in that clip is basically how he's been behaving and people still voted for him. You know, whatever. We can We can discuss whether it was a majority, but people still voted for him. So like his, that particular kind of bad behavior is like priced into his his election. And yet he was still elected. So it almost gets dismissed. So what? Well, maybe because it's not locker room talk, like what he got, the way he dismissed those allegations by saying, oh, it's just locker room talk. But apparently Mm -hmm. it's not just locker room talk. It's like what he does every day. But also, I think the crucial thing here is that this proves he can be blackmailed. And he can be blackmailed for like, frankly, not that much, right? Like, um, I mean, Stormy Daniels occupies this weird place in our culture right now where she's suddenly like this hero of the resistance, (laughs) the quote unquote resistance, because uh, the complications of her lawsuit might end up having, um, you know, legal legal complications for Trump. Right. So everyone's like, oh, she you know, we must support her. We must like pay her legal fees, which is just such a bizarre thing. But if you are if you are someone in the Trump camp, you look at this and you say, well, you know, he was willing to pay off a person he was having an affair with. Apparently multiple people. Yeah, multiple people he was having affairs with. You know, there were multiple payments, right? There was the sort of initial like don't talk to in touch. That was like fifteen hundred bucks for, you know, Stormy and and then also her husband. And then there was this hundred and thirty thousand dollar payment that Michael Cohen uh, Trump's lawyer apparently paid f- not only from his personal accounts, but from a home, like a, a line of credit on his home equity, which is wild to me. That yeah. is like a wild financial detail. Which is also means that it was almost certainly uh, a federal election crime, you know, that it's an, in, it's an inappropriate and illegal contribution or that needs to be reported that wasn't. It's not. And so, yeah, these this thing, which is in some ways, you know, a a rich man's peccadillo, not really surprising to anybody, opens up to way more charges. You know, it's the old thing of it's the cover up, not the crime. <laughs> right, right. And the, I mean, the tax law is sort of interesting on this. The idea that, like, okay, if you're valuing, I hadn't, I hadn't realized this, that this was the law. That if you're valuing the information you're giving, she's, she's, you know, suppressing such that it's valued at one hundred thirty thousand dollars. That's income you need to report because that's valuable or that's a value valuable asset that you, Donald Trump or you, Michael Cohen, have purchased. And that, you know, I mean, we don't know anything about Trump's taxes, but that presumably was not reported. The yeah. the hush money. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been thinking a lot about this because I have a friend who's a political reporter who's extremely irritated that this is what we're paying attention to. Not us, like the three of us. I mean, just like the, the world can give so much attention to McDougal's and the Stormy Daniels of the world, not because of them as women, because that's the only thing that will will keep our attention for a while and not real estate deals that he did in Russia or, you know, various other ways that he sort of shifted his money around. So um, there's irritation around it. So I've been thinking a lot, like, why, why is it important? And is it something that we should pay attention to? Besides what you guys said, which is where the money comes from, there's also, to me, just the kind of um, unveiling of the network of legal threats that mm -hmm. go into silencing women. It just is this tremendous legal web that I didn't quite understand in detail how it worked until this Trump moment, like the this really, truly shameful role that, that magazines pay, play in this, you know, silencing women, like buying, mm -hmm. what's it called, that buy their stories and... Um, yeah, but, right. Uh, and the National Enquirer, I mean, this this was a different company, but the National Enquirer, which is owned by a friend of Trump's, is notorious for doing just this kind of thing. Catch and kill. Catch yeah. and kill, yeah. yeah, yeah and we should say what that is, term. just in case people haven't. Yeah, catch and kill is basically you lure somebody in, you say, we're going to pay you a lot of money for your story. So a magazine like National Enquirer will do that. They'll say, we heard you have this juicy story. We're going to pay you a lot of money for it. But in the meantime, the magazine is working in concert with the guy, in this case, the guy, Trump or Trump's lawyers, and they're going to capture your story, have you sign an agreement saying it's exclusive, so you can't share it with anyone else, but then they'll string you along and kind of never publish it or offer you something else, like a column about women's exercise and health or some business like that. Um, but they'll just string you along for years and years, and and it's a way of, of tamping the story down. But even the perfectly legal non-disclosure agreement seems to me yeah. completely reprehensible. Like... The problem with non-disclosure non agreements to buy women's silence, I mean, the reason that courts are, are okay with breaking non-disclosure agreements is because the information is necessary for public health and safety, right? Like there are cases where courts allow you to break a non-disclosure agreement. And it's basically if the information is being used to silence something that's dangerous. But it seems to me in this case, you could make that case that with sexual harassment, I mean, the Weinstein Company just released everyone from its non-disclosure agreements for this reason, because it's totally indefensible in that case. But like, if you systematically buy women's silence, we now have proof that that puts other women in danger and does threaten the public safety. Anyway, I just feel like learning about mm -hmm. how this whole mechanism yeah. works, it just well, pissed wait, me off, a, you know? But he yeah. didn't he didn't sexually harass her. They had a consensual affair. I mean, I, I totally no, 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 agree no, it's with you different. about the role of yeah. non-disclosure agreements and, and these other kinds of cases. But, but that's what's interesting to me about the, in part, about the way that Stormy Daniels is being received, I feel like we're sort of conflating different kinds of bad behavior that Donald Trump has exhibited, right? Like he bought off a woman he had an affair with and he also probably sexually harassed and assaulted other women. Those are not, I mean, they're, you know, they're all on a spectrum of bad behavior towards women, but they're not exactly the same thing. That's really true. It's, thank you for correcting me. That's absolutely true. One of the women said she was physically threatened. Now, it might be Zervos. She might be the one who said yeah, she was physically Stephanie threatened Clifford by a says, lawyer. Stephanie Clifford says that she has evidence even that she was physically intimidated and, you know, 
one of the things that people are saying is that not by Trump, by the lawyer, by the lawyer. Yeah. yeah, By his team. Yeah. 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 No, but you're absolutely right. It's like one of them is used in the mechanism of sexual harassment, but it is not true in this particular case. And that's what's complicated. Both of these affairs are totally consensual. Neither of the women really broadly seem to be alleging that Trump himself like did anything that they weren't on board with. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, like, how much of a hero she has become. She has this Twitter account where she sort of, like, um, you know, goes back at the people who are yelling at her. But she's also, like, promoting her new um, site. Like, if you look at her account, it's half, like, her doing some quite, like, funny and clever put downs of trolls. And then it's like, do you want to be a hashtag fan of mine? And then it like, I just got a new hashtag fan. And then it goes to whatever her site is that seems to involve fan in the title. But if you just think about like, okay, this isn't exactly the same situation, but you know, 20 years ago, Monica Lewinsky, she wasn't exactly a hero on the right in the same way. She was sort of, um, you know, reviled on both the left and the right. And, and it, it just, it sort of blows your mind to think of, the different ways that these women are being received 20 years apart. Again, like 21-year-old intern and, um, you know, and and um, porn star. Who, or, or, I mean, actually, adult entertainment, you know. Director. Di- she's a yeah, director. She's a director, too. <laughs> I mean, right. It's, it's, it's yeah. just different. Kind of a yeah. crazy shift yeah. in the culture. Yeah. And it's also weird because she did she did shake him down for money. I, I like, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's weird that I feel like a bad feminist for saying this, but, but she had an affair and then she tried and then when she didn't get what she wanted out of it she got something else and like I I don't know I mean I understand the legal ramifications of all this are like possibly huge in this moment but it's weird for us to being like yeah girl like you do you I just think that's a strange moment for feminism that's really really interesting I think you're absolutely right I just mostly take great pleasure in her Twitter account and her takedown of trolls so I'm happy to be (laughs) on her team but there is a moment in all of these cases where the women make a choice you know um and they make a choice to sign the agreements. I mean, they all say they were intimidating. And in some cases, like like in the when you read the accounts of Weinstein's assistant, for example, it seems clearer that she was intimidated and the disclosure agreement she signed was insane. Um, but in some cases, you feel like there was they did make a choice. All right. That's enough for us humans. Um, listeners, if you have opinions about whether Stormy Daniels is a feminist hero or whether we should distance ourselves from her, please let us know, doublexgabfest at slate.com, or go to our Facebook page and leave a comment there. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious lolly Focus Pops or lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Our next topic, I think we're all excited to talk about Cardi B. I wish we had Cardi B with us here (laughs) to talk to us about every single thing on Earth. Uh, She is the first female rapper since the late 90s. I was shocked by this, by the way, to top the charts with her song Bodak Yellow, which you hear everyone sing. I don't dance now. I make money moves. I have to say it makes me really happy to see little boys singing that. That's (laughs) like a first for me. Um, She's a former stripper turned Instagram star uh and uh and she's awesome uh the new york times had a story about her she was the first person featured in the 25 songs tell us where music is going 
And what's interesting about that is they called Bodak Yellow an unapologetic anthem for women in a year otherwise defined by pandering and setbacks. I thought that was a bold move. Uh, joining us today to talk about this is Verlyn Williams, our producer, because she's a big Cardi B fan. Hey, Verlyn. Hey, Hannah. Also like Cardi B, a daughter of the Bronx. I am a daughter of the Bronx. <laughs> and so Cardi, like I was listening to her on um, the Comeback Jack show, and she was like, oh, I went to Colum- um, Columbus High School uh, or a performing arts school that's like housed in Columbus because now... All the high schools have many high schools inside of them. And I was like, oh, wait, that means that she's younger than me, which is a whole nother conversation. <laughs> <laughs> she's 25, yeah, she's young. Oh, it's a terrible moment, though, when you realize really famous people are younger than you oh, are. My God. Uh, I remember that moment. Let's play a little bit of Cardi B. A girl had beef with me. She gonna have beef with me forever. Hey America, what's poppin'? My name is Cardi B. You might know me as that annoying dancer on social media that be talking hella crazy with the long nails and the big old titties. But I'm just a regular, degular, schmegular girl from the Bronx. I be dancing all around America, hosting all around America. And my goal is to make dash money and turn everything up. Ain't no party like a Cardi B party like all right, so the first thing everybody asks about forever is her accent, which mm. I didn't have a problem with because I grew up among Dominicans. She just sounds like every Dominican I grew up with. But do you read for as being from the Bronx? Do you read is her accent like what do you read it as? Oh, for sure. Um, she has like a like just like the you know girl from the Bronx. Like I talk like this and like I wish I bitch would like this like <laughs> kind of I don't know. But it's funny because I, I I know that her and her sister like they're always saying oh her sister is trying to be like her and I. I've just always read it as like that's how girls I grew up with spoke. Like I never read it as um, putting on, but I do think that Cardi owns it in a way, and she's so unapologetic about it. Whereas you know, I remember um, like being a student of radio in the beginning, like knowing that I couldn't say a- um, ask. I had to say ask as opposed to ask. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah. there's certain things that like I've been trained just like you know, as a person that had to have a public radio audience and you have to enunciate. And I did, you know, theater growing up. So I kind of was always trained to speak in a certain way. But, mm-hmm. you know, 15-year-old Verilyn spoke very, very similar to um, a one Cardi B. Well, and she's great on that on that whole thing. She says, uh, when I got famous, people told me I talked wrong, that I wasn't smart. And she was like... I think I I think I know English pretty well. I think I get what's going on. And she's like obviously super smart. And yes. that's what's sort of great about watching her do her thing is that she's she's four steps ahead of everyone ready to make the joke, but mm-hmm. she's got this like um affect that might lead people to miss to to underestimate her. Yeah. You know, I actually think she's like a comic genius. Like totally. that's what mm-hmm. I always loved about Cardi B. Like she kind of weirdly reminds me of Lucille Ball. Like she makes mm-hmm. like weird mouth noises. Totally. Like she's got some old school comic genius with her body, like yeah. with her comic timing, with just the weird noises she makes. They really like throw people off like that Jimmy Fallon. Like people just don't know like how to respond to her or what to do with her laugh. Like yeah. she just owns the time always, you know? To me, um, like that, I, I so agree. And like to me, like some, I don't have a lot in common with Cardi B. Like there's too much distance between us for me to like really like relate to her I think you know this 25 year old woman from the Bronx and a much older woman from a very different place 
But I totally relate to her as a comedian. To me, she's just like Bette Midler was in her mm. youth, you know, like a big bosom woman who talks dirty. Sophie Tucker, uh, you know, the, the character that Jane Lynch plays on Mrs. Maisel. Yeah, there's this tradition of bawdy comedians who typically have big breasts and are, you know, quite physical. And yeah, the way she pulls face is like being not afraid to like pull a funny face. That's amazing. This that takes so much confidence. Mm. But June, can't you relate to the sentiment? I don't dance now. I make money moves. Like truly, I think that is just like anyone can sort of blast that in their headphones. No, and, you and... know, you know what, you know what line of hers I totally relate yeah. to. Got a bag and fix my teeth. Oh yeah, that is the best line. She deserves every plaudit. She deserves every award for that line alone. Well, you know, two amazing things. Like first of all, every, all of our listeners have to watch the Love and Hip Hop, where she talks, where she has to go to etiquette class, or what mm-hmm. her friend calls "Don't be ratchet" class. It's clear that we're starting from ground zero with these girls, but you have to start somewhere. And since first impressions are the most important asset. That's where we're going to start first. Now, I love the shirt, but if you have a meeting, you don't want them to be drawn in here. Oh, well, there's a thing, Ty, right? I got crooked teeth, so I don't want people to look at my crooked teeth, so I'd rather them look at my titties. Okay. That is really funny. I'm sure you're, Verlin, if you were trying to fix your accent, I'm sure that you related to that. Um, I mean, but, but the, I mean, it was also, I mean, I didn't watch her seasons. I watched the supercut that Daniel put together for us. I, the, my first encounter, com, encounter with Cardi B, even though she had like 700,000 followers, I think. She had 100, I was listening to an interview where she said, I had 100,000 followers and then my account got deleted. And right before she got on Love and Hip Hop, she got 700,000 followers. So she was already kind of like Instagram famous before getting on Love and Hip Hop but I didn't know anything about her until she kind of like read Peter Gunn's uh, I think it was in that supercut a lot of these men will tell you like listen I got a wife but I want to have a good time oh and I got bills and I want them to be paid let me say this real quick let me say this real quick for a woman to say you want, you want some of this ass you want some of this I want some money that's uh, that's that's hoeing. Look what you gave Amina and, and, and Tara, babies, and that's it. No, not that's not it. Men like you are the type of men that I be talking about. You need to get from these guys what you want. You get out of both of them, and what are they getting in return? What are they getting in return? We got love. They we look got, we, stupid we got on love. TV. You don't know me like. He was trying to put a respectability kind mm-hmm. of slant on her, and she's like. Um, excuse me, you have these girls out here looking stupid. And the person that she was talking about is Taro, the person that was giving her the etiquette Ooh. class. Yeah, yeah, so there's a lot of, there's a lot in layers there. Upon layers, layers upon layers. But that's what I love about her. She's unapologetically herself. And she's like, if you have a problem with me, that's your problem. And, I, and, and she also is like, it's really, it's really hard. Like, she talks a lot about, like, the pressure of, of fame and how... You know, now being in the public eye, like how hard it is, like as a person that like, like likes to be like walk the streets of the Bronx and likes to be unapologetically and say what they want. And like just not being able to do that because people I think she said something like people are sensitive, which is, you know, well, she's also can say that she's also really funny on the subject of like fame and money. Like she she wouldn't confirm how much money she'd gotten for something because she was like, no, I'm, I'm still going back to the Bronx. Like she um, we 
New York Magazine ran a story with her. Our our writer spent a bunch of time with her, and like her her friends and family are like who's who's around her. It's not celebrity handlers. Mm-hmm. It's just mm-hmm. like her people. Which I mean, is it, cool. the discussion of authenticity is such like it's such a loaded question always, but it's 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 such a complicated question in any kind of musical genre. Um, but and it's it's such. I mean, everybody. We're right now. We're playing parts. Yeah. But there's something about her that. You absolutely, I absolutely believe that she is being her authentic self. And that's like the greatest acting thing that you can do because there's a a performative element, but she just has what, she just appears to be so natural and so quick. And like it, whereas the other women on the Super Cup just seemed like they were reading a script Mm -hmm. and they were acting out and they'd been coached. Like it sure seemed like she was just being her and she was better than the other people and she was probably better than the people who could coach her. (laughs) Verlin, I have a question for you. So, you know, with like Nicki Minaj and her and I guess Remy Ma a little bit, there's like there's only one way to be unapologetic, which is to outdo the dudes. It's like to out rap the guys. It's a I don't know. Sometimes I feel like I mean, the song they're calling the feminist anthem starts with said little bitch. You can't fuck with me. Like she's mm. talking to another woman in that song. And yet we read is it she? as I, unapologetic. I don't yeah, know that she have to is. Be a woman. I don't know that she is. I think huh. she's talking to quote unquote her haters. Everybody, like, no, the anyone that like will come for her. You know, like anyone that would have something to say about her centering. Like I, I think what she does is center her experience. She centers her childhood. She's just like, you know, this is what I grew up. This is what I know. And I and, and to what um June was saying is about about around us all trying to be authentic. I think like it's really hard to center what you, you know center yourself because you're always. You know, being politi- you're always trying to be politically correct. You're always worried that you're going to offend another community. Like she, did you all um, like see when she uh, read anything around her putting up something around like if my man cheats on me, um, I'm gonna have a threesome and with a quote unquote she uses the T word. Can right. I say it out loud? Right. <laughs> like, even now, I'm like censoring yeah, myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she uses, you know, the um, tranny, which um, is a word that like any one of us that are, you know, especially in the media world, know that that's like a no, no, that's not like, a word that you just don't say. But she was so like, she was just like my friend. And it, it's interesting. She was just like, my friends are trans women and they would say like, oh, I will sleep with him if you need me to. And so she just felt like she, there was nothing wrong with it. Like she was just like, those are jokes that we say all the time. Meanwhile, like she writes that and she's just like, she gets all this backlash and she said, you know, she talks about how it affected her. But like, I and feel she did like, apologize too. And she did apologize and she thinks she deleted the post. But, I, you know, you look at that and you're just like, well, well how is that different than a white person that uses the N-word and now everyone is coming from him? He's like, well, he or she's like, well, that's what I grew up with. That's what me and my friends, you know. So I think, like, it. she does bring up a really interesting point about, like, what does it mean to center all the things that make you you in any given that's moment? A, I can't even believe Cardi B gets censored, you know. Oh, yeah. Because she's so obviously who she is that it's hard to imagine, like, even she can't say certain things but i guess she can't but on the feminism question Mm -hmm. i i guess i didn't fully i felt like this new york times magazine article was just trying to overread a little too much um cardi has been asked in a bunch of interviews like do you consider yourself a feminist and she has this sort of great answer where she you know she she doesn't the term itself feels like it's conjuring all kinds of specific things that she doesn't feel academic why fancy talking right but she's like, in my definition, 
like I hustle I hustle like a man and I hustle men is mm-hmm. something that she said a couple of times, which is a funny line. Like she says, I'm equal to a man. Like she clearly is not someone who who thinks that she is in any way less than a man, mm-hmm. but she just sort of rejects the labels and is probably pretty irritated by being asked this over and over again. Um, but she has just such a specific like I'm going to get mine. Um Hers is like a, you know, it's it's like she's all about confidence, right? Like mm-hmm. there's confidence in every single line of her songs yeah. and every single interview. That's part of what's great about her. And you know what I, I mean, I appreciate is that she doesn't hide in any way, shape or form how hard she works. I mean, and clearly yes. she works her ass off. Like, and I think just really forefronting that is so valuable and so like that's really inspiring to me. Yeah. Like, it's, it's not a mistake. Like, she's so intentional with what she's doing. You know, she was talking about, I read something when she was saying, like, I stopped smoking weed because it made me really slow. You know, like, just, she's just freaking, like, nothing is an accident. She's like, I started to strip because I got fired. And then the guy um, that I was working for said, go across the street. The the women over there make a lot of money. She was like, oh, I noticed the women here that need, that have bigger boobs, get more money. She got her boobs done. <laughs> she went to the urban, what she called the quote unquote urban club. She was like, oh, the women here that have a bigger ass get more money i'm gonna get my ass done you know nothing was by accident but can i okay so that's complicated a little can i tell you a sort of funny personal story so after um new york magazine ran our story the writer who's a friend of mine threw herself a celebration in the strip club where cardi b um came up and so we all went and and it was pretty quickly after the harvey weinstein thing had Mm. happened um, this was in early November. It was the early days of Me Too. And uh, yeah, there was this uh, guy there who I know through the writer. We were talking and he was just feeling so much guilt about participating. Like he was talking about the strip, strip club and Me Too. And he was like, am I participating in rape culture? Like what's happening here? And then he would get up and like put a dollar in the woman's uh, thong and he would just come back and finish the Me Too culture. So, OK, are we... Like, yes, Cardi B herself is awesome. But is this larger culture that she's participating in, should we be concerned about that at all? Was this silly guy who was putting a dollar in the G-string while talking about rape culture, was he on to something? I mean, we're all living under capitalism. I mean, <laughs> yes, we're all complicit in this terrible, uh, you know, sexist, racist world to an extent. But if you're in a strip club, mm. it would be rude not to tip. Like that, like <laughs> that, you gotta, in fact, I think he participated by only giving her a dollar. Yeah, 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 exactly. I'm, I'm, if I don't you know do, how much if you do not go to da club, as, as I like to call it, if you don't go to a club with a lot of singles, then you, you're being much worse than being like you're, you're committing a greater sin. I mean, yeah, it's, it's of course there are contradictions. Yeah. But also it's. I'm really struck by the fact that she was earning $200 a week at the Amish market, went across the street yeah. and was earning that in a night. Like, yeah. again, I'm blaming capitalism for that. Like, yeah. that's that screwed up. But then that she had a plan to get out because that's not what she ultimately wanted to do. You know, she yeah. says, like, I saw the women that were there for years and years and that they were there with the same men that come all the time. And I was like, I didn't want that to be my life. Mm-hmm. And she made a plan to, you know, to make different choices. Because she wanted to. She's always making plans. She's like just making plans, like a hundred plans a day. I'm with you, Noreen. By the way, that's really, really funny. Just the whole image of a guy (laughs) having a conversation about Me Too and then going in to put like the requisite dollar in the bikini. That's really, really funny. But but the way I think of Cardi B, like I've thought about this and I reconcile in my head, like Cardi B is like a feeling. You maybe don't want to be that way all the time, but you want her to exist. Like she says about her own song, 
Where is it? Oh, yeah. She says, sometimes I don't feel like I'm the prettiest. Sometimes I don't feel like I'm on top. And when I hear Bodak Yellow, I'm like, yeah, I'm mm-hmm. that bitch. And mm-hmm. I feel like everyone, it's just like you have to tap into Cardi B every once in a while when you yeah. have that feeling. Totally. Yeah. I, I- I think it's my most played, so- played song in Spotify for the record. So I'm not, I'm just trying to complicate <laughs> no, things a yeah. little bit. It, yeah, yeah, it is yeah. complicated. But yeah. I think like, it's what I think about like what I call the Beyonce feminism. Like, like you can do whatever you want. Like I can cater to you one day and then the next day is like, can you pay my bills? You know, like, like, like just being able to like be authentic with what you want at any given moment. Because that's, I don't know, because you, you have the authority to do that for yourself. <sighs> I don't know about I, I, that though. Yeah, I think that I think that gets. I don't know. I think there's not a that's that's a tough one to follow logically. Like mm-hmm. because it, to me, what it, just do the do whatever you want. Do whatever you want. I mean, I it's it's this is a hard one to articulate because I don't want to push back on like sex positivity mm-hmm. or or sort of being being like in control like I, I don't want to I don't want to be critical of Cardi B because I think she's like a secular saint in a weird way <laughs> but but uh you know just in the in the past six months I have been as Me Too has unfolded I have been thinking a lot about sort of the third wave raunch feminism I came up in and I think the sort of Beyonce feminism that you're describing is sort of an extension of that and I'm not sure it's like such an unalloyed good that we should defend it no matter you know what. why cardi b you know why i don't think of her in the same box as beyonce because she i know that she's sexy and i know that she has like the big ass and the boobies and all that but she's like whenever there's like a sexy moment about to happen she like makes a joke or a funny <laughs> noise like there's some way in which she doesn't just put herself out there to be admired that's not exactly the box she lives in like just look at me i'm sexy like she goes there sometimes but also like when she's close with a dude she always kind of messes it up or gets gross or talks about farting and stuff like that do you know she doesn't just let it unfold which is a way of being in control yeah yeah Yeah, it's a way of being in control but you don't think that beyonce is in control of her sexuality in the sense that like she wants to be she almost wants to hypnotize you in moments and then other moments she's like i'm badass you know i i think she's in control of her image for sure yes and like think about how a man would respond to beyonce and respond to cardi b would be slightly different i mean you mean because of uh, around class issues or the like class cardi b is just confusing you know yeah yeah she's Mm -hmm. confusing but i listen to interviews i listen to a few interview um podcast interviews of her and it's always this weird moment where like the interviewer would comment on what she has on or what she you know like i think that at the end of the day men are men and (laughs) you know um yeah yeah i guess the other thing i was thinking when when you were talking about noreen about like this moment and this like wave of feminism is this i think that is just that we women like we have so many examples like you know i think about this moment like there's ava duvernay there's beyonce there is shonda rhimes there's cardi b there you know there's tiffany haddish who also is so unapologetic and i think like i think if if it was just cardi b or if you know if or if we just had claire huxtable which is you know (laughs) that was the example for a long time for for young black women like that would feel more like i feel like i'll be more complicated but it's the idea that like i can both celebrate cardi b and then like celebrate the fact that ava duvernay is breaking all types of records um all the time right it's not just like 
the one example. Yeah. Okay, we'll leave it at that. Many ways to be. One day, Verilyn is going to come in and be like Cardi B with us. And the next day... <laughs> the next day, she'll be Ava Debonair. Yeah. Okay, so for our listeners, let's just recommend, uh, for listeners who aren't as familiar with Cardi B, a couple of things that they can listen to or watch to get to know her. Verilyn, you bring one, and then Noreen. So definitely, I don't recommend the Comeback Jack interview with her. Um, Comeback Jack... Um, Reggie Ose, who passed away earlier this year, I just I think that conversation was like just a very raw um, example of like who Cardi B is and the struggle with fame that she's having. And and I also think you should check out a supercut of her best Instagram moments, which is on YouTube, and we can link to it. And it is just funny. It's just and 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 I recommend following her on Instagram. Oh yeah, you're gonna get a lot of Fashion Nova ads. That's how <laughs> you know she's committed to that as a brand. But you're also gonna get a lot of really funny Instagram. And videos. you're also gonna get like pictures of her grandma. I love yeah, that. I know. Yeah. yeah, pictures of her fans' tattoos. Yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Okay, it's the Cosmo Hour on Double X, micro-cheating. I guess it's the new emotional affair. It's this term in pop psychology. Yeah. It seemed to pop up everywhere. It captures a broad range of activities from looking up an ex on Facebook to taking your wedding ring off before chatting someone up. There isn't a huge agreement about what micro-cheating is, but people are trying to define this space in relationships or marriages that's just short of cheating and then debating on whether we should pathologize it or whether it's completely normal behavior. So I think this the difficulty for me about thinking about this or having this discussion is the broad range of topics which fall under this umbrella, amen. right? Like, yeah. yeah, amen, right? So some of them, some of them are just like flirting at the office or texting someone flirty texts or whatever. I don't know. That's, I mean, yeah, that's my critiquing. I mean, I agree with you. My first thought when I heard this was like, oh, emotional affair. And I guess there are there is a distinction and sometimes like, no, there's no emotion. It's just, just you know, it's a, it's a kind of emotion-free flirting. But that does feel like, yeah, that if if you agree that there is there are a word has been coined micro cheating, then flirting or sending flirty texts. Yeah, that's micro cheating. Well, OK, it is. Of course it is. For OK, for me, uh, you guys are the people in like super long term relationships here. So so I'm going to defer to you a little bit. But for me, the, the behavior that's described in these articles that actually seemed like like it would be upsetting was when you say change the like put a fake name of the person you're texting with if you're just having like a totally innocent flirtation that like you don't you know you you banter with someone at a party you banter with someone at a work meeting like a little bit who cares it gives you that like just something where you can be go home and be happy with the person you're with but if you're like hiding the fact that you're doing that or you're like taking off the wedding ring or whatever that's when it becomes weird when it's you're covering it up because you feel guilty then it becomes this whole other thing exactly that's and that's what it for me that's really what it is like if you feel guilty if i mean because obviously you might be in a relationship where it's totally fine if you're using deception if you feel guilty if you wouldn't tell the whole truth to your partner about what you did 
And yeah, that's micro cheating if, if that's part of your relationship, if you know, if it's possible to cheat in your relationship. But what do you mean the whole truth? Like, let's say you're having a flirty text. You have to come home and be like, hey, honey, I had a flirty text with someone today. I was flirting with someone at the <laughs> office. It's like, yeah, that's what I have. That you mean, if, or do you mean if you <laughs> you mean if you wouldn't tell the whole truth? Yeah, like exactly, it, exactly. If it came up and 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 you would you would have to like lie or obfuscate. Or, like, uh, actually, I kind of feel like if you hide, I mean that. Yeah, if it's it's weird to say if you hide something that's a problem a problem I mean I don't know it's a problem that's let's say that that is falls under the definition of micro cheating which is not the same as saying you need to go home and like issue a confession about all the things you did today that may not be a hundred percent perfect behavior it's not that it's just like if you would not tell the truth if you when asked if it came up you know change the 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 cast slightly then yeah if you're not if you're not being honest, if it's if you're saying something that makes you feel guilty, then you probably are micro cheating. It's not the same as cheating, but it's not being I, honest. I think I disagree. I think it's when you cross the line into like actively starting a cover up because that to me says that you're like maybe trying to get something off the ground. If you just like maybe don't necessarily feel like telling your spouse the whole deal about the conversation and it seems like it might upset that person yeah. more like. I don't know. What do you think, Hannah? Okay, I'm going to set some ground rules here. First <laughs> is all relationships are genuinely different. I mean, I'm not just saying that. Like, people have all kinds of agreements. Like, I've, you know, as life goes on, I'm exposed to many different ones. I know people who are in open relationships. So, like, obviously, rules are different. They're set by the partner. And second, therefore, we have to, I always go to my the guru, sex guru, Esther Perel, who's kind of a, like, relationship genius. She genuinely is, deserves all the title that she has as being the sex guru of our age. She says the three key elements of an affair, a secretive relationship, which she says is the core structure of an affair. So it has to be a secret, like like what you said, Noreen, like you're, you're actually building a relationship in secret, entirely in secret. You're like building an infrastructure of a relationship. And then an emotional cl- connection and sexual alchemy. Now, I think the second two without the first is not an affair. Like there's lots of people on this earth that you might have an emotional connection. If you're if you're like a living, breathing human being, there's mm-hmm. lots of people you're going to have emotional connection or sexual alchemy with. But yeah. it has to have the architecture of secrecy in order for it to be considered like you're walking on the path towards trouble. Don't yeah. you think? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And what do you think of the yeah. argument that micro cheating or it? whatever we're calling it, is actually good for your relationship if you've been in a relationship oh, yeah. for a million years. So the, the theory behind this is that, you know, these studies, I'm always so skeptical of studies, but studies have shown that, like, for example, in an extreme case, like guys who masturbate to the same porn or the, the same person in the porn, like when they then see a new person, they ejaculate quicker, which like, so we, we get more <laughs> Thank excited. Thank you for that, June. <laughs> guys. But so, which you know, th- as I said, maybe there are other examples so far. We know that newness is appealing. Sure, but then, but then, is there something that you like? Is there something you can take from a a, a micro cheat, like whether it's just feeling desired or just like whatever that you can go then take back home to your partner? I mean, it, it, the, certainly, it feels like you can't out, outlaw fantasies. I mean, that's just part of the human spirit jimmy human carter exactly. <laughs> if you listen in your heart like what can you do you're just being honest i would say it's an unequivocal yes like to live your whole married life and never flirt with another person or feel an emotional connection with someone or ever have sexual alchemy that seems sad and weird to me like mm-hmm. who who would do that and to pathologize that 
Bike Sorry. parts. Okay, to pathologize that is like just crazy because we're people. Mm-hmm. But but you know you just have to be clear in your head like about the the secretive architecture and not walk into the secretive architecture. But otherwise, like sure, yeah, why not? Yeah, you know it seems pathological to be like highly threatened by that. Yeah, it makes your relationship seem really brittle. And it also seems like do you have to go home every day and like just like you know hash out everything that you did that day? Probably not. There has to exist some kind of gray space. I hate the term micro-cheating because it, it has the word cheating in it. It's like it's not cheating. It's just like being a human. Um, but um, but anyway, that's why I don't I really don't like that term. And I don't like the term emotional affair. What about just flirting? Yeah. Is flirting good for your relationship? Yes. Micro-cheating makes it sound like, ugh. Is somebody putting someone's name in your phone under a code name bad? Yes. Yeah. Yes. 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 Now, then you are building the architecture of a secretive relationship. Um, oh. And then you have a problem. But but short, the other things to be lumped in with that, it's irritating. You know? It pathologizes just completely Normal. like lovely behavior that people have in their day. This is a rare case where... Three of us are in total and utter agreement. (laughs) Next. Excellent. All right. Next. We can move on. Uh, Listeners, if you have different feelings about micro-cheating, if you have had experiences of micro-cheating that you feel fuzz this line in some way, please let us know about them. We would love to hear about your micro-cheats. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and What do I even say other than, hey? (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. All right, so let's move on to our recommendations. Uh, June, you want to go first today? Yes, I do. Uh, Before I give my recommendation, I just want to mention, I have a little bit of a rooting interest in this podcast, but... The Americans podcast is back next week. The Americans, the epic show about uh, Russian spies in the D.C. area in the 1980s, returns on Wednesday, March 28th, which means that on Thursday, March 29th, the Americans podcast returns where we take you behind the scenes. We talk to uh, writers and showrunners and the cast and the stars of the show and costume designers and just all kinds of people with roles in the show. And it... If I do say so myself as the host, it really kind of shows how a TV show is made. It really like lifts the curtain. And um, I think obviously it's better if you watch the show. It really like gives this fantastic show even more kind of armature underneath it. But even if you don't watch it, it's really interesting uh, to listen to kind of behind the scenes of a television show. So the Americans podcast back for its sixth and final season. Uh, of 10 episodes uh, starting Thursday, March 29th. And for my recommendation. Um, so I used to watch sports a lot. I really don't anymore, but I still uh, listen to some sports podcasts. And my favorite is, well, my favorite is Hang Up and Listen from Slate. But my second favorite is The Low Post uh, from ESPN, which is Zach Lowe, who's there, uh, who's an NBA writer. He does interviews. Um, and last week, he had Jackie McMullen on, who is a woman who has written about NBA basketball for decades. She started at the Boston Globe. Now she works at ESPN. She herself was a basketball player. She was a college ball player. And they always have amazing interviews. Like it's she's talking about basketball, but it's also if you are a journalist, it's especially interesting. But just if you have an interest in journalism, like just when they talk about her, how she 
developed relationships with players, how she kind of turns ideas into stories, um, how those, how what effects those stories have on the people that she writes about or or the people involved in in that community. Um, which is the the basketball community, as we like to call them. <laughs> and so she was on last week, but there was an another one in September of 2017, another appearance of Jackie McMullen on this on the Low Post, uh, which was more about her and her career. And I just really recommend. Um, she's a fascinating person, and she really uh, opens up to him, and it's just uh, always good listening. All right. My recommendation for this week is the book Asymmetry, which has gotten attention by Lisa Halliday. It's the first novel. It is so good. And it starts out on a kind of uncomfortable relationship between a young, pretty girl, a uh, pretty girl working at a, a, a literary house and a much, much older and very famous writer. And this is a configuration that you have, have have seen and read about many, many, many times. And so you're thinking, really, this is the book that everybody is is really into. It's like it makes you uncomfortable they, as they sort of as they grow um, increasingly close. And then the book just flips in an unbelievably interesting way, which I'm not going to which I'm not going to give away. But it is it is truly an amazing first novel. So that's Asymmetry by Lisa Halliday. Um, I also want to say I'm going to Columbia next week. So if any of you listeners um, want to tweet me books that I should read besides, you know, Love in the Time of Cholera kind of books. But um, if anybody has anything for me, I would really appreciate it. Can I just jump in there and say that uh, I believe it was last week, uh, Mary Wilson hosted the gist on Tuesday and she she went to Columbia earlier this year and she talked about her experience there. And then she interviewed a woman who just wrote a new book about uh, Columbia and uh, their judicial process and it was just it was both a really interesting interview and just an interesting episode and and interesting insights into Colombia so do check that out too okay great Noreen well you uh you you bit off my recommendation a little bit I was going to recommend asymmetry um, oh good we can both I have about 40 pages left of it Uh and I'm totally obsessed it's really 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 good um and I think we it's not spoiling too much to say first of all that the famous writer um is is like a a version of Philip Roth. The woman had uh, a relationship with Philip Roth in her 20s. Um, and then also that the second half of the book is um, she or the second half of the book becomes the um, interior monologue of a Muslim man, um, of, of an Iraqi American man. Um, and what I think is again, I hear there's like a flip at the very end that I'm waiting for. But um, what I think is remarkable about it is the way she is and actually enabled to inhabit the second half of the book. Um, and that's the part where I was sort of skeptical. I was like, this is like some MFA shit. What's she doing here? I'm annoyed by this. But it's totally not annoying in practice. It's really fascinating, especially when you contrast it with the sort of exterior way that she treats the stand-in for her um, in the first half. So anyway, that was going to be one of my recommendations. And then the other one is um, another sort of zeitgeisty book, uh, The Perfect Nanny. Have either of you guys read this? No. It's um, curious about it. So it won all kinds of prizes in France. Um, it just came out here, I think, in January or so. There was a New Yorker article about the author around that time. Um, and the reason it's sort of in the news right now is that the um, book itself is based on, in part, a really grisly true crime incident here in New York where a woman on the Upper West Side um, left her children alone with the nanny and they were um, 
murdered. And that trial is going on right now. Um, and that's sort of the starting point of the book. That I think the first line is the, the children were dead. Um, and Echoes you, of Camus. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and you um, you sort of go back from there and, and she's she's set it in Paris and um, the, the details are a little bit different, but it's really a story about class and race and um, trusting your kids with someone. And it's a very, very quick read and absorbing. So the perfect nanny. Okay, great. Um, well, that is our show for today. Uh, thank you to our producer and fellow Gabber this week, Verlin Williams. Thank you, Verlin. Our production assistant, Daniel Schrader, for everything that he does. Listeners, uh, if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, which I hope you do, please go in, leave a review, and word of mouth. Tell your friends about the podcast. That is the best way for us to get listeners. We would deeply appreciate it. For June, Noreen, and Verlin this week, I'm Hannah Rosen, and we'll talk to you again in two weeks. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.